0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker. Yes, that's right, it's me. And we are listening to a Wisenborn guitar, played by a good friend of mine, Ken Glasser. He's one half of Catoctin Mountain Highway. Those of you who may have seen he and Angeline out and about performing, maybe at a winery or at the Frederick Coffee Company, places like that. He is a wonderful fingerstyle player playing like Weisenborn, like we're listening right now, or a resonated guitar, or even a regular Martin D-28 type of thing. But Ken Glasser is sitting a socially distanced way away from me on his patio in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Ken, how are you?
1: Fine, Todd. Thanks for for coming and inviting me on your show.
0: I'm I'm delighted. As we mentioned when we were chatting before the show began, I don't think I've seen you in person since we did that little review of all your gear, and that was good a year and a half at least.
1: I I think so. I'd have to go back to all my online fame newsletters, uh, which I've which I keep, and 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 figure it out for sure. But yeah, it's been a good long while. It was the slides, right?
0: It was the slides, and then some of your finger picks, right? Right. And then I, mo- yeah. I
1: think I even brought out the uh, the old uh, round neck beard resonator.
0: You did, and you also brought out your old Gibson J forty five. Right, right. Gorgeous sounding guitar. Yeah. You know. You mentioned you saved all the Fame newsletters. You must be the one and only person who's ever done that.
1: No, I can't be the only one. <laughs> Besides, I have to um I have to go back. There there have been things in your columns that I've said, "Oh, wait, now what was that again?" And and of course the the Frederick folklorist.
0: Um Oh, I, he he writes wonderful articles.
1: Oh, well, and and um in <laughs> Uh, I, I go back just because the, the history, as as I have, you know, kind of learning a song. I said, oh, yeah, didn't Tom write something about that? And and uh, it's, by the way, not always the song I'm I'm thinking of that he wrote about. But, yeah, and, and it, it takes a while. Either I don't know how to use the search function correctly or it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: the gentleman he's referring to is Tom Colehep a FAME member. FAME stands for Frederick Acoustic Music Enterprise. And Tom is our folklorist. He writes articles for the Sound Post, which is the... Title of or the name of the FAME newsletter nowadays, and he goes back and he'll do everything from a song like you just mentioned or a person, and it's uh, it's really a lot of fun,
1: yes. Yes, I, I, uh, uh, those are the two things that I go to first, and and then I'll go back and kind of go through the rest of the newsletter. But it's always fun to see what you've written up and 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 what little gadget. Um, <laughs> Do you know how difficult it is to keep coming up with gadgets? Um, I I can't imagine because I have absolutely no idea how I would come up with a a, a column. It, it seems to me it'd be much easier to be in Tom's boat, although the research is, is a lot longer. But to come up with new ideas for you know history of a person or a song is relatively easy. To keep coming up with new gadgets is um, that new gadgets that that are actually useful or mm-hmm. um, potentially useful and and, and going out and getting them and then trying them out and everything that, yeah, I, I don't see how you do it every month. But I, I,
0: for one, do appreciate your efforts. Well, thank you. I do enjoy doing them, but it, sometimes it's a little nerve-wracking when I'm two days from deadline and I haven't <laughs> anything to write about. So.
1: And I'm afraid... I've got nothing more to offer you. <laughs> oh no! Trust <laughs> you, me, you're going to do just fine. No, no. I mean, in terms of of coming up with suggestions for a gear thing and oh, say, okay. and being being not quite a guest columnist because you still have the heavy lifting of, of doing the writing and everything, but saying, oh, hey, Todd, how about you know this or that, and I, I, I think you've, you've the well is dry over here. <laughs> well,
0: I must admit that I rely on friends. Other musicians mainly who will say, "Hey Todd, I just ran across this in a magazine or someone had it at a gig I wish we could say that recently a gig but anyway the um, you might want to review it and if it's not too expensive right which
1: is the other thing yeah yeah I mean things can add up very quickly
0: they can so I try to keep those things to the major expense ones to be things that I might end up actually using as opposed to use it once write on it and Put it in the dustbin. But speaking of history of things, we were just mentioning Tom's articles and things like that of song or performers. The people cannot see us doing this, but I mentioned Weisenborn guitar. That's what you have on your lap right now. Explain to people what a Weisenborn guitar actually is. Um,
1: so Herman Weisenborn was an immigrant to the U.S. from somewhere in Germany. I I don't remember where in either the late 1890s or the early 1900s, and um, he was not the only one building these kind of guitars, but back then, before um, they electrified things to make them louder, there was a problem, because I'm not even sure if steel string regular guitars existed. So one of the answers to that was to try and make the neck hollow, um, which is which I realize as I say that, because when I was first um, finding out about these guitars, I, I could not visualize what that meant. Um, but uh, the, the neck area, which you know goes all the way up to the nut, uh, is actually a chamber, or part of the, the chamber inside. So the idea was to get more volume out of the guitar. Um, who the first person was who did that, I'm not sure. There was another guy by the name of Charles Newton, I think his name is pronounced, who also was doing something like it. Uh, but Weisenborn g- guitars um, have held up, I guess, a little bit better, and there were more of them. And they have a particular sound um, that I cannot describe, um, which to me was just gorgeous. So when I found out about them, uh, and, and there are well, more than a handful, but, um, you know, several luthiers here and there. And, and this particular guitar was built for me by David Dart, who's north of San Francisco. Um, on the road to Mendocino in, in California it's a song title right there <laughs> and and at the time the job I had I was going out to um, uh, Foster City California right near San Mateo which is south of San Francisco and and I was getting interested in these guitars and and thinking oh yeah I'd really like to have one and oh man it's a lot of money and back and forth so I tacked on a couple of days to one of my trips Um 150 miles and i thought not realizing that the road is much like the pacific coast highway at that point so I, I did not realize i was signing up for a four-hour drive up there and went out to see it and the next thing i knew i'd put a deposit down for because he said he was going to get me one in in three months but it it only took four and it was well worth the wait and uh and and it's a glorious gorgeous sounding mahogany guitar that that he built for me um and um, but at any rate, they're, they're played lap style. Um, you play it with a, a steel, much like a dobro, for, for those of the listeners who understand that, or a, a lap steel or a pedal steel. Um, and um, I, I play it more of a, as a finger style guitar. Um, there are lots of different styles and, and, and ways that it, that it can be played. Um, but that's just kind of how I, I got started on it. And... Um, so now I have um, three in my collection, which is probably two more than I, I need. <laughs> <laughs> now I think I've only seen two. Well, let's see here. So I, um, I, uh, there, there's a guy named Bill Asher out in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the name. Ah, um, I, I did not realize this, but but uh, in, until I went out there and, and there was a. Like a coffee table book by an author about all of this guy's guitars. Um, Jonathan Kellerman is the name of the author, and um, and I found out that Bill Asher is the son of William Asher Sr., who was a TV producer, and Elizabeth Montgomery. Oh, um, yeah, of Bewitched, Bewitched. <laughs> sure. Yes. Um, and uh, but that's not why Bill Asher's Jr. is famous. He's famous because um, for years he he started uh, he made. Weisenborns for Ben Harper. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got electric lap steels, including a Ben Harper signature model. He doesn't make the acoustic Weisenborns. Um, they're not listed on his website, although I'm sure if you wanted, you could get one from him. Um, and uh, lots of, of regular electric, and I think he makes acoustics guitars as well. My brother has one of his electrics. So at any rate, one of, one of my Weisenborns, um, I went out to visit when I was visiting my brother and his family who were at the time living in Culver City. And I said to Bill, hey, can I come by your workshop and just kind of see how everything's done? And I can't afford one of your guitars. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I was uh, I have um, prototype number one or number two of his Weisenborns, which is built on a, on a Weisenborn scale. And, and then the third, um, I, I grew up in the Detroit area and I have a, a, one of my cousin's sons who still lives in the area was getting married in Ann Arbor and I happened to look at elderly instruments which is in Lansing. And uh, they had a, a, a vintage Weisenborn made sometime in the 20s, they're not really sure when. And so I got another cousin. We were all there in Ann Arbor on Saturday morning. We drove from there to Lansing. Took a look at it and and that's guitar number number three. I, I um, so a, and as I say, you know the dart is the one I play almost all the time. The others really don't come out of their cases very very much. This is sort of my go-to, wise when I'm playing it and and um, I I like the way it sounds. Uh, the other two aren't don't really work very well for putting capos on. It makes it makes it a little bit harder and. Um, you know, I'm sure you know nothing about buying guitars and not all of them. No, nothing many at all. Many of them spend time in their cases. <laughs> <laughs> now
0: explain to people, because I can see it, and I've, I've heard you and watched you play your wise and born many, many times. It is a six-string instrument, like a guitar, but it's not tuned like most of us would think.
1: Right. So <clears throat> there's there's standard tuning, which most people tune most regular six-string guitars. And, and you can tune this guitar like that, but it's very hard to do that and play um, solo mm-hmm. um, because you've got a, a straight edge for, for playing. Um, you put your steel down and it's just a straight edge so you can't play most of the chords that, that you know people think of. So generally speaking, uh, and, and I'm going to talk about um, one or two tunings here. Generally speaking, people play an open D if they're playing a, a finger style kind of <clears throat> style, and and that would be uh, from from the low bass string to the high would be D A D F sharp A D, and and that's a tuning that people do on regular six strings if they play slide, um, as well as you know just for other other songs because they like the sound of it. Um, this guitar wouldn't do so well, but you can also tune in in like a Dobro G. Um, there are multiple forms of open G tuning as well, and um, but I just I just keep this one in, in D and, and play it like that. And and it's uh, again, if I were um, going to play as a sideman, um, well, first I'd be having to do a lot of training to get there. But at any rate. <laughs> There are other tunings. I, I mean, you, there's a place called, I assume it's still around, let's see, Brad's Page of Steel or something like that. And he talks about all forms of lap steel instruments and different tunings and all sorts of other things. Um, but I, I got this, um, my, first, uh, my first foray was I was visiting friends in Massachusetts and was, we went to Lexington where there's a store called the um, Music Emporium. And, and all of these stores that I've mentioned, if you're in the area, they're well worth a, a visit if you like to spend countless hours looking at instruments and talking to people about them. And um, potentially spend lots of money, and too. potentially spend lots and lots of money as well. And and I, I um, was first thinking about getting uh, what turned out to be this dart, and I, I did not. I, I, I would chickened out at that point. But I, I did get a DVD from Kelly Joe Phelps, um, and he does everything at least at that time on his lap steel in open D and Harry Manx who's another one who person who I saw who didn't play wise and born at the time but had um, um, various instruments um, and his uh, actually everything that he plays including a six string banjo is tuned to to open D so it's a it's a relatively known um, popular tuning for you know if you're in this kinda of niche
0: now, why would an open G not be as easy
1: or as good for you as an open D? Well, um, the dobro G, the, the problem is that low bass string, which is tuned to G, and there's a lot of tension on the neck. Oh, I got gotcha. you. And, and that works on a dobro because the dobro neck is basically a solid hunk of wood, and so it can accept that tension. Um, for me to do that on this guitar, um, because the neck is hollow, it's putting a lot of stress there. and. When I did talk to um, David Dart, who'd built this one, well, emailed back and forth and said, hey, can I try that tuning? He said, well, yeah, but you'd be better off using light gauge strings and, you know, not keeping things tuned like that a lot. Um, I, I, the Bill Asher guitar I could tune that way uh, makes me nervous to do it because a- I asked Bill about that. Um, the Weisenborn, built in the 20s, um, it's pretty fragile old beast, mm-hmm. and I, you know, be afraid to do that for that too. Although, I have since noticed that there's, um, shoot, what brand is it? I can't remember, but there's, there's a brand that sells lots of strings for Weisenborns, and they have like a G tuning set, and and so the that top st- the sixth string is is not as um, uh, high a gauge as as it might be on on a dobro so that you can
0: get away with tuning it up to G. Now this one, the dart, is all mahogany. What are the other two?
1: Uh, They're both koa. Oh, they are both. Yeah, so originally most of them were in koa. Um, I think one of the um, places that a lap steel kind of style came from was Hawaii, and koa grows out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... Since then, actually, you can find, if you look around, you can find Wisenborns in all sorts of woods. And and koa being as expensive as it is because it's getting rare, kind of like um, rosewood, Mm -hmm. Um, very expensive. They've been trying to come up with with alternates. There's a guy from New Zealand um, by the name of Paddy Bergen, and he uses Tasmanian blackwood, which I gather is a koa cousin Mm -hmm. for some of his guitars. Um, when, when I, when I went out to, to David and, you know, we were talking about this, all this different stuff and the different woods. And he had a, a, an older Koa and an older mahogany for me to try. And I, I gravitated to the mahogany because apparently I like a lot of bass in my guitars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there was more, there, there was more bass in, in the mahogany than there was in, in the Koa. Um, It, it, uh, so on my other guitars which are all dreadnought or jumbo size i've got three regular six strings and you know it, it's um let's face it i'm getting up in years and and so having a a large body is difficult when you're sitting because you're you know your elbow is up and everything but if i'm just going to a guitar store and i sit around and play generally speaking i'll end up with the same size guitar all over again because of apparently the the bass sound is as near as I can tell. Yeah. But I have played a Collins um, an OM size that that sounded wonderful. You know, it's interesting, you can take
0: and let's just use Martin as an example. You can take take 10 Martin OMs, same combination of woods, and they'll sound completely different. Yes. One will have a tremendous amount of low end Two or three will have good ample low end. One or two will have kind of what we call tight low end. And the other couple will go, eh, I'll buy a tailor.
1: They're, you know, trees are different. They are. Part, different parts of trees are different. It, it, um, I've known guys. I knew a guy. Um, the, the last job I had, eventually, after a merger or two, um, we got moved out to Frederick. And I knew a guy who was a bass player. And he was buying and selling stuff on eBay all the time. And I, I don't know electric instruments very well. Um, but, you know, it didn't phase him. And and I I could never do that. I've got a, a... Hence, hence when I was in Detroit for the wedding, we drove up to Lansing to play the Weisenborn because there was no way in the world I, I was going to be able to buy it sight unheard, unseen. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really needed to... To play it and and more importantly listen to it before I was willing to to um, to plunk over my credit card or sign the check or however I I, I did that it it uh, or well my dobro is a similar story um I well I'm segueing on if that's that's all fine right. yeah so um, I had a loaner dobro for a year and uh, my my time well I guess it was about six or eight months in, and I could kind of see the end coming, and and much to my surprise, I found I really liked playing it, and, and I could sort of see a way that I could make it work, because it's not as much of a solo instrument. You really have to be playing with other people. And um, so th- there aren't really a lot of, aside from driving out to Paul Beard, Beard in Hagerstown, um, you know, there aren't a lot of good stores to to see Dobro's. Uh, there, there are some stores that are pretty good guitar stores, but finding Dobro's is hard. So I was going out to Seattle to visit my son and his family, and they have a store out there called Dusty Strings. Mm-hmm. I, I hope you're all writing this down out in the, in the <laughs> audience. <laughs> um, there's there's uh, Griffin Instruments in, in Palo Alto as well. <laughs> I want to make sure I get a plug for them in. Um, and lo and behold, they had um, a, a Beard Vintage R, you know, used one um, that they were selling. So, I, I talked to a friend and said, "Hey, does this seem like a decent price?" And and in the over the course of the long weekend, um, I went to Dusty Strings once and thought, "Well, okay, I th- I think maybe I can do this." <laughs> and then slept on it overnight and then went back with my son the next day and 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 bought it. So it, it um again and I, I pretty much played. They had six or seven. Dobros in the store I played every single one of them and and um, this one actually came off quite well um, there was one that I did like a little nicer but it was also twice as much so mm-hmm. I decided that that for a start this was a, a great guitar to, to get
0: and Now is a Dobro, you said a Dobro is more of an open G
1: That's the standard bluegrass tuning okay. Um People also tune to Open D. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's at least one Jerry Douglas song I know of that's, that's that. And um, there's a, a company called Hip Shot, I think. Yes. Okay, so they make something called a double shot. And with a flick of a lever, you can switch between two tunings. So you don't have to retune. And... and from what I understand, those are the two tunings that that Dobra players will put on their their instrument.
0: Now don't you see bass players with a hip shot type of a thing so they can play instead of ha- playing instead of playing a five string bass, they'll play a four, but they'll have that lever they'll flick to get that low.
1: I have not noticed that, but now that you've mentioned it I will I will take a look. I, I, I know one Dobra player, somebody who who, mm-hmm. have, who I've met at the jam who who has one, a, a beard. I think it's a Jerry Douglas Redbeard um, with a uh, uh, with with a double shot on it. Um, there you know it's it's expensive to, to buy it and to get it installed on your guitar but if you look at it as well this means I'm not taking a second guitar to a gig mm-hmm. it, you know that that's kind of where it, it plays in and and certainly there are um, I, although you know a Weisenborn and a Dobro nobody's going to get confused the two but nonetheless if If I were doing any gigs and, you know, wanted to do that, uh, you know, it might be worth considering for the next dobro. (laughs) Well, many dobro
0: players play standing up with a strap. Right. Do Weisenborn players do that?
1: No. No. And and, uh, back when, what was I getting done? This may have been when I had the pickup installed in my round neck beard, and, and I asked about that and brought this out. And um, we tried it. Um, whoever I was talking to said, oh, I don't think it's going to work. And the, the problem is, again, the, the open neck. Um, there's The open neck gives a lot of flex to the guitar, and uh, either I have too heavy a touch or maybe it's just not possible. But... Um, when you start putting your hands down, you know both where the steel is and where your fingers are. If you push down on it at all, um, it Don't. changes the string. Um, okay. Um, so things get out of tune. Well, the other thing, as you were
0: describing that, I was thinking. Well, maybe the dampening effect of the wood lying on your on your thighs adds to the sound.
1: I you know compression I've, sort I've, of. I've thought about you know whether or not. If, if I could get it off of my lap I'd have a bigger sound mm-hmm. but I, I as I, I just don't know of a way of doing that I think I, I think for like lap steels you can get some gadget to tie around your waist or something and put the lap steel on and it's possible something like that would work for a wise and born mm-hmm. um, frankly it it's not it's kind of nice to be able to sit down every so often if you're playing a gig. It, it's, um, you know, a couple hours standing up with a guitar around your neck is you're not used to doing it, um, which I'm not. You know, it it, it it gets kind of long. And so, you know, when I say, oh, it's born time, it's like, ah, oh, great, I can sit. I can sit <laughs> for a while. <laughs> but you played guitar solely
0: for many years, right? Right. Now, how did you first get into playing
1: guitar or any instrument for that matter um, Let's see here. Uh, I, I'm debating how much detail um, to get well back in high school um, the midst of the folk craze mm-hmm. um, and and what got me started on it I'm not sure and uh, I grew up in Detroit. Uh, they had a club near there named the chess I think it was. and some of my friends went one night and they saw Jim Questkin play solo. And they said, "Well, he's in he's in the jug band because I guess he must have mentioned it and and we must have gotten some records and the next thing I know, oh, we're going to have a jug band." So during high school, um, I was a member of. Uh, well, we went through many iterations of names. At the end, we were called the Detroit Valley Jug Pounders and P O W N D E R S. And uh, we were down to a trio. <laughs> we we got our pictures in picture in the Detroit News. Uh, they had a high school correspondent. They were looking around for band names, and we gave them ours. And they were enamored enough of it that the three of us went down to wherever downtown, and we got our, our picture in the paper. And um, so that was that was my my uh, claim to fame in high school. And then. Uh, the Gibson which by then I, I owned um, kind of sat in its case for about 35 years and then um, I was in LA or visiting my brother John and he had a room full of guitars and I thought well maybe it's time for me to pick up my, my Gibson again and so I, I did and, and I started taking lessons um, I decided oh I want to learn how to play slide um, found this really cheap lousy res- round neck resonator, I think it was called a Flint Hill, I, I think it's made in Korea, it's really hard to find anything on them, with um, the turned out a warped neck, and, and started playing a little bit on that, and, and that led to the, the Beard, an upgrade, it was either going to be that or, or a national, um, and Beard, at, the, at least at the time, was a national dealer, so I went up to Hagerstown with a friend, and we um, came back with that, and um, Ended up uh, replacing, well not replacing, but uh, finally realized that the Gibson was really worth something and decided I was better off with a less expensive guitar to go to open mics and, and gigs with and ended up with a couple of those and and just, you know, kind of um, a long, slow slide. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, one thing led to another. <laughs> um I don't remember where the Weisenborn came in or where I first learned of him or 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 any of that stuff, you know. But all of a sudden there that was, and then uh, since the lab steel, I haven't played very much of the regular slide, and then uh, the the Dobro, you know, just sort of I, I wouldn't say a natural progression, but just kind of happened. Um, heard I, I'd always been a big Mike Aldridge fan, um, and and. Uh, you know, heard some Jerry Douglas stuff, um, uh, heard some other things, and, and it was more of a I, I wasn't ready to take the plunge if I was going to have to plunk down a bunch of money. Um, but I got this opportunity to get a loaner for a year, and that, you know, enabled me to say, oh, yeah, I think I can, I can make this work. Now I need to take the plunge.
0: Now you, you mentioned you put your Gibson away for about 35 years. Was that because of family and career
1: um, it started in college you know I just wasn't ready to put myself out there um, with my friends in the in the jug band. Um, it was one thing but um, kind of going and playing solo I wasn't I wasn't ready for that yet and and so when I first um, I used to go to this place in in Springfield Virginia um, called Kate's Irish pub which is unfortunately no longer around and and when I first started doing that, it was, it was a lot, you know, to, to get myself up on that stage. And, and um, it, it was, it's, as you know, you know, when you start out, it's, it's very difficult to, to sort of calm down the adrenaline <laughs> to the point where you can, you know, do something and, and stand up in front of all those people. So it, it was a lot of that stuff. And, and, um, a, and so between that and then, yeah, you know, graduate school, the family and and all sorts of other stuff going on it was it was hard and and I'd never lost my love of music it's just um, the I, I just you know the amount of time taking to, to play it was just not there and and um, when I when I picked it up gosh it's around 20 years ago now um, uh, it was that's when I actually learned how to practice and, and play. No, in, in high school I had no idea. I just sort of figured people picked up their guitar and wailed on it. <laughs> and wailed on it and they were naturals.
0: <laughs> now when you played back then during the jug band, you were one you were the guitar player or one of them?
1: Uh, yes. We we I, I don't remember exactly how it, it worked. I, I let's see, at the end I was playing guitar and wash tub bass. For a while we had a wash tub bass player. Um, the other guy who played guitar also played a banjo um, we had someone who played um, let's see Howard played a mandolin and he also played uh, the jug and uh, for a while we had um, a drummer <laughs> highly unusual but he yeah. was a cousin of one of the other players and I can't remember who else we we had you know who kind of came and went and and what the circumstances were of, of any of the comings or, 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 goings. Um, but, but yeah, at, at the end there were just the three of us and, and I, I guess it just depended on the song, whether there'd be, you know, two guitars or a guitar and a banjo or a guitar and a wash tub bass or the jug or any of that stuff. Now, were you primarily a strummer back then? Or did you do
0: fingerstyle style then as well?
1: Um, I started off pretty much with fingerstyle. style. You
0: did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just felt natural to you, or?
1: Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think um, probably because of Questkin's influence, because uh, he was a, a fingerstyle player um, and who we were listening to. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think back then I was using a flat pick at all. Um, I, I still, um, I'm better at it than I was, but I don't, you know, I don't really consider myself really great with a flat pick. Maybe barely adequate would be better description. (laughs) Well, that pretty much describes most
0: of our playing. When I say are you, me, and most of our friends at our level, there's always room for growth. Let's put it that way. Yes. The, The one thing that has always struck me. And I think when I first heard you, you were already playing the born. Now, did you have an injury, shoulder or, or elbow injury at some
1: point? I had, um, let's see here, around 2009, I had uh, my right shoulder got operated on at the end of the year. And it was probably six or eight months before that when it was starting to bother me to the point where, yeah, I, I couldn't play a regular six string. Um, maybe if i'd had a, an om or a double o or something like that it would have been different but it definitely was painful just to hold it while sitting down and and so yeah it, it um uh, so i went at that point i was almost entirely wise and born mhm well the one thing
0: that has always struck me by the way you play is and and let me let me backtrack just a slight bit your career what was your are you were you an engineer or what? Oh, as a software engineer. Software engineer. The reason I ask is the way you play is incredibly precise.
1: <laughs> no, it is. Uh, I, uh, no, I, I, I figure you're going to do a tie-in there <laughs> to my career.
0: <laughs> the, I have always been amazed. Watching you play, it's like... I don't want to say it's controlled, but it is.
1: Some would probably say a little bit too controlled. <laughs> no,
0: but there's but. no... I mean, I am typical of most singer-songwriters who play guitar so we can sing. I get a little sloppy, even when I play fingerstyle. I don't think I've ever seen you sloppy when you play, whether it's the Weisenborn, the Dobro, or a six-string guitar.
1: Oh well, well, thank you. Um, I, I, you've probably overlooked <laughs> some things, but, but uh, yeah, that's kind of you to say, and I, I appreciate that. Um,
0: Now, is that because that's the way your brain works and tells your fingers to move or it's just because you're a student of the instrument and it's like this note goes before this note. So that means I need to do this and then this and then it just keeps morphing into a performance.
1: Um, Probably more uh, up until recently, I've been very um, strict about what I'm willing to play in public. So unless I've worked out something to the nth degree, um, it's rare I'm willing to take it on a stage. And I'm perhaps loosening up a bit on some of that. Uh, The dobro playing has helped with with that um, because I've had to wing it a lot more. Um, And so I think it's more what you're seeing is more of a finished product than than anything else. Um, It's just all play it 10,000 times where nobody can see me.
0: Um, well, in, to me... Well, that's a little bit of hyperbole. I probably didn't play. Well, I don't know. I, I play mine a lot before <laughs> I ever
1: they ever see the light of
0: day. But the... Um, just the way you play. It's very... But you don't... It doesn't look controlled necessarily. Because I'm a guitar player and I'm a little bit sloppy when I play, I notice it because I watch your right hand Sometimes I watch your left with the bar, but I'm usually watching your right hand and I have difficulty with my thumb, especially if I put a thumb pick on hitting the right string in the right order. I can do it maybe for fleeting moments and then it's going somewhere else and yours never does. It always goes where it's supposed to.
1: Oh, well again, thank you. Well, that's again, part of the, um, with my right hand, I normally don't have to look and know which strings I'm hitting. And and part of what you're you're, you're saying is is my control is probably it's because of that alternating bass. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's um you know the thump 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 and so it sounds um, very um, um, what's the right word here um, I'm not sure but but it. Organized? No, that's not really it.
0: Well, but. it's the foundation of what you play. Right. I mean, if you don't m- mind, put your finger picks on while we're chatting about this so people can understand. Not everyone who listens to the podcast is a player. So if you can just do alternating bass for them so they understand what it is.
1: And which strings are you playing? So right now I'm playing the sixth and fourth. And, and so those are both a D note, um, although an octave apart, um, depending on what i'm doing or what guitar i'm playing sometimes it will be 6 and 4 sometimes 6 and 5 uh, depending on the chord on a regular six string it could be 5 and 4 and and normally speaking on a on a i call it a regular guitar it seems silly to call it a six string cuz they're all six strings right regular guitar doesn't sound less silly but um, they will they will not be just octaves generally speaking they'll be two different notes um this kind of works I don't know why uh, sometimes when I'm doing this depending on where I am in a song and what I'm doing on the guitar I will hit that fifth string um, just because it you know seems to work in my head um, but I if you were to come back to me afterward and say oh why did you do that bass there you know I'd say what 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 did I do <laughs> um, so it's not planned it's Um, entirely 100%. I wouldn't say it's 100% planned. Um, When I'm doing a fingerstyle song, generally speaking, it's pretty planned um, and and pretty practiced, so it comes out pretty much the same, you know, all the time, as long as I've stayed current with it, that is. Um, It's just harder for me, um, because I'm tied to that bass you know that alternating bass all the time to, to get out of something that I've figured out how to do to make it to make it work um, there's usually not as much going on if I'm singing at the same time although there are people who would argue that point with with my assertion um, uh, but nonetheless you know when 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 I've listened to stuff um, and and tried to learn it, to me, um, a lot of what I'm trying to learn is the, um, the undercurrents, what, what's going on with the guitar while they're singing, and and how can I do that at the same time? Um, some of the things that, especially at the beginning, at the Weisenborn, just were uh, just sitting down and and um, the Kelly Joe Phelps song that I played that. There's no way in the world I could reconstruct for you right now. Um, you know, I just sat down in my living room in front of the T V and put that um, put that D V D on and and we played it together ten times well, I don't know if <laughs> it was ten thousand times, but it, you know, it was a lot of times just to, to try and get it so I could, you know, play and, and sing at the same time. Just because there there's usually it, it's not exactly the same and sometimes even the the beat or there will be notes in the guitar when I'm singing. And so it's a matter of trying to, um, I can't say not think about it, but not think about it consciously. So, The History of the Eagles, two-part documentary, um, which I've seen multiple times. They, The early Eagles were some of my favorite, was one of my favorite groups, still mm-hmm. is. Um, Later, not so much because I thought they were more special with the vocal harmonies and everything, but that's just, you know, personal opinion. But at any rate, at one point in there, um, I don't know what the question was, but Don Henley's saying, you know, it's, it's hard because you've got to practice something enough so you can do it, you know, without, I don't remember exactly what he said, but, uh, you know, without thinking about it, you know, so you can really just, just sit and, and play it and sing it. But you have to really be careful because if you do it too much, how in the world do you not get bored when you're getting on a stage and, and, and doing it? And so it's always trying to find that, that right spot. And um, I thought, oh, boy, he's got that right, you know, because that's, that is an issue, you know, at least for me as well. It, it, you know, if I'm, things that are really complicated um, will take a long time for me to, to get. Um, and, and, um, you know, once I've done that and played it, so there's the point where I can play a song all the way through, okay. Then there's the point where I can play a song all the way through up to speed. Then you throw in the vocals, and again, probably have to slow that down, and then you get the whole thing up to speed, and then you can do it, I'll say flawlessly, but, you know, that's, Whatever that means, and and then of course they're standing in front of people and and doing the same thing, and and those are all stages that that go along. When I when I took that um, got that first Weisenborn DVD, the one with Kelly Joe Phelps, and learned the started to learn the first song on it, and um, I they had tab for at least the first verse and and chorus, and and then. Unfortunately for me Kelly Joe doesn't do the same thing each time through so I had to kind of try and pick it up from the DVD. Um and and if I got through like 5 or 10 seconds a night of that tab, you know, so I could repeat it, I was well pretty happy. Jubilant. I, yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, this is really slow." <laughs> um but it also taught me, you know, it's like, well, if you're, you know, willing to put in the time for some of these complicated things, then wow, you can pretty much learn almost anything. Um, that's probably not true, not almost anything. But, you know, I, it was like um, it surprised me with with what I could learn as long as I was willing to put in the time, which gets back to my comment before about how I finally learned how to practice when I was 50 because mm-hmm. I didn't understand that when I was, you know, 17.
0: Now, the, um, and I can't, can't re- cannot remember the guitar, the blues player, who are some of the blues players who are really known for their alternating thumb john hurt probably um i don't think it was him
1: robert johnson who wears was... the hat
0: more contemporary he's known for his hats uh, his hat. it's not keb mo it's the other maybe it is keb mo it could be fellow. keb
1: mo um you're not thinking john lee hooker he's too far no. back
0: no i'm we're gonna get too caught up in the mud here but okay. anyway i wanted to learn that alternating thumb pattern. And I happened to see in Acoustic Guitar Magazine where they show the different DVDs or books you can purchase. And I thought, oh, DVD of alternating thumb pattern. So I purchased it. And in the beginning, before he ever plays a note, he talks for about five minutes about the importance of practice, of thinking your way through before you practice and not getting caught up with, I can never do this. He said, I'm known for my alternating thumb. He said, it took me about eight months before I could do it. And this is one of the world-class alternating thumb pickers. And he said, it's not easy. What you have to do, just like you said, sit in front of the TV or whatever you're doing and just do it and do it until your thumb does it automatically. Then you can maybe start adding the fingers and the vocal or whatever it is. So how long did it take you? I don't
1: know. That was high school. You know, I I remember, a- and when we started in high school, I took some folk music class, and and um, and we learned patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, freight train, you know, there's a pattern for that, and and I remember the first song I learned where I was not using a pattern, um, but you know, I was 16, 17 years old. So how long did it take me? I think probably using the pattern first uh, helped a lot because the pattern included an alternating bass in it. Um, but it was still a you know a big step to to just doing the alternating bass and then doing whatever you wanted with your other fingers. I I use two fingers and, and a thumb. You don't use the third. No, no. Um, I'm trying to. Yeah, I I I think way at the beginning sometimes for arpeggios for some songs, um, back in the folk music class we. We'd use all of them, but we were not using finger picks for that. Right. Um, but I've never. Uh, the finger picks are always index and, and middle finger. And when I picked up the guitar again, um, for a while I tried to avoid using the finger picks because they um, they're difficult to get used to. They are. I have um, never gotten used to them. Um and and but my 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 nails kept breaking, which, as I said before, is a statement I never expected to to make. Um, hmm. And um, there are if you on the Taylor website, Taylor guitar website, you know they talk about you know fingernail care for for guitarists and how to find a manicurist who who can help you and and how to work that out, you know, and and all the different things. But instead, I started using the finger picks again, and it it took a while. I don't remember, you know, was it multiple weeks? Probably more like multiple months where I was really um, really felt easy with them and. And it's because you're, you're no longer feeling directly what's going on, and you have to pull your, your fingers away from the strings a little bit, um, and so it just, uh, it's a little bit awkward. And it was very frustrating at, at the beginning, you know, again, when I, when I did it. And all the time I was relearning guitar, um, when I was 50, it was like, I used to do this you know, this wasn't hard before. What, what's going on? <laughs> Why is this so difficult now? <laughs> I remember
0: from our gear article that we did, you have your preferred finger pick set and then like a backup, if I recall. Right. And what is your makeup of your preferred set?
1: Well, so these are my lap steel preferred set.
0: Oh, they're different for a guitar or they, for they a are,
1: They are different. So um, I, I take lessons sporadically from a guy in western Massachusetts and when I was starting to play dobro I I just asked him one day what he used and and these are something called pro pick and the angle of of these is not like straight it's at a a slight angle I don't remember yeah towards the back
0: well your finger has it rolls over it's not a straight edge
1: well it's because you're sitting down with it, and so its angle is slightly different. I so gotcha. I use these for, for that, although these I'm not as comfortable. I, I, use, um, I, I use Dunlop picks mm-hmm. for, for a regular six-string. Um, same, same thumb pick. Th- this is a, a Golden Gate thumb pick, which I picked up from a guy named Scott Ainsley um, and, and his instructional DVD on, on Robert Johnson songs back when I was doing slide. And and this was his thumb pick of choice, and I said, okay, let me try that. And um, so every time I would go out to um, Foster City for work, I'd I'd head over to to Griffin Musical Instruments down in Palo Alto at the end of the day, and one of these great stores just let you sit around and play all you want. Um, they they never got enough sales from me, um, other than my little Martin. I ended up I came close, but never ended up getting anything, and. And so I'd be sure, you know, I'd buy thumb picks and finger picks, even though, you know, finger picks never wear out. They're made of brass or metal <laughs> or something. You, know, you have to do an awful lot to break one. So I've got a, a drawer full of finger picks that I'll never need. Thumb picks, are, you know, they're plastic, so eventually they break. Um, but not very often. And so I'd buy those. I'd buy a copy of the fretboard journal or, or something, you know, just so I'd I'd walk out of the store having having purchased something every time I, I walked in. Um, it it was still was not an even trade, but... Um, it was, made me feel a little bit less guilty.
0: Now I'm curious, put your finger picks back on. Okay. I am curious when Ken Glasser has been out shopping or working around the house or something like that. And he, he decides, I'm going to sit down and play my dart, wise and born. What is generally the first thing you play
1: when you pick it up? There's no generally. There is no, no, it depends. Um, I go through cycles of doing certain things. If I'm learning something, it may generally be that. It may... um, Am I allowed to say a song? Sure. Okay. Um, Lately, when I've picked this up, I've been playing Sweet Baby James a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It... A lot of times if I'm doing something and trying to learn something um, and I'm getting frustrated I will play something that I've been playing for a while that I know I can do so I'll feel better Mm -hmm. about myself (laughs) and and so it 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 just really varies and and I'll play um, on the sixth string I've been playing a lot of what I call dystopian Dylan songs and um, it just fits the mood i I sort of think you know and and uh but you know that's just sort of what's going on now in in uh um, in six months I could be playing illegal smile again <laughs> <laughs> and um that's a John Prine song for all of you who aren't familiar with it and you should go off to YouTube and find it <laughs> well I'm curious do you ever
0: take the thumb pick and just go across all six strings? Or is it... In the midst of a song? Yeah, or just sitting around just... Because the only way to play a full chord is put the bar on all the strings, right? Or leave it off completely. Right. So just do one completely open for us. Ooh, it sounds so good.
1: I, I will do that when I'm tuning up. Yeah. And and sometimes at the end of songs. Um, very rare that, uh, except maybe... Occasionally, a harmonic chord will fit in. Mm-hmm. I try not to do that very often because it's really easy to go down that path and do a lot of it, and and I don't want it to sound gimmicky. Um, I just—I think it sounds great, so it's not gimmicky to me. Well, if you heard it every other measure, you'd, you'd well maybe change your mind. Maybe. Um, I just, just uh, there. There's a Dobro player in in Toronto, Canada, of all places. Um, comes from Montana, I think. I don't know how he ended up in, in Toronto by the name of um, Ivan Rosenberg. And he did a series of, I think, 75 nightly lessons. Um, and I went back to him way after and said, you know, hey, can I buy some of your lessons? Whatever. So I got a couple of them, and he started talking about something called palm harmonics, which I'd never heard of before. Um, I'm guessing you can do this on any guitar where you um, you put your... Well, you, in this case, the bar, you put your palm twelve frets down from wherever you are, and you can get a harmonic wherever you want on the on on the fretboard. Mm. Um, apparently, Mike Aldridge was a master of, of that. Um, I got lucky and I hit it that time. <laughs> <I'm> really terrible <laughs> at it right now, um, but it's another you know tool. It, it will it will make sense. And he. As, as Ivan was going through, I think he was doing was he doing wait a minute um, I don't know, but he talked about certain things that you know where oh yeah, Mike Aldrich is doing this, and this is a palm harmonic right right here so there there are you know other things that you can kind of throw in, which gets off your original question, but it's hard um i I might at some point do like. Where I'm, I'm obviously only hitting three strings at a time, because I've only got a uh, thumb pick and two finger picks, mm-hmm. but but I'm, it's carrying over a little bit. I, I'm not exactly sure how many strings I might be striking. Um, but so it's like a partial chord. Yeah. And, and um, there are other things you can do where the bar may not... I don't know what chord that is.
0: The lovely Angeline has just walked into our presence. She's the other half of Catoctin Mountain Highway. She's not mic'd up, so we can't actually ask any questions. But she's just brightened up the afternoon. Did you want some water or no, we're we're good. We're almost actually at the end, believe it or not. Oh. Ken said that uh, you you told me I don't know what we're going to talk about for an hour, <laughs> and we're actually only about uh, four and a half minutes shy of an hour, believe it or not.
1: Oh, okay. Well, it's easy for me to keep
0: gabbing. <laughs> well, it's very interesting to me and hopefully to those people listening. As I mentioned, we have people who listen to the podcast who are not musicians. They just like music. And they're interested in, one, people they have seen locally. When I say locally, in the greater Frederick area. Right. The um, Because I initially started the podcast to reach fame members, kind of pull them in. So my initial shows were um, frame Fame Founding Fathers, because many people new to fame, knew nothing about them other than the fact they were just there, Right, and it's just kind of morphed from there. So I'm gradually, if you throw a pebble in a pond, I started in the center and I'm doing concentric rings, sometimes going back to the center and, and going out. So many people who, who listen have heard you before, or maybe haven't heard you in a while, but there's probably. Eighty to ninety percent of the people who listen who've never heard you before—they don't know who you are. So this is my opportunity to introduce them or to you, basically. And so this is fascinating for me.
1: Oh well, thank you, thank you. Uh, Weisenborn is spelled W-E-I-S-S-E-N-B-O-R-N, and and if you're interested in the instrument, you can Google that. Um, you can uh, Ben Harper has played it a lot. Um, there's uh, an Emmy Lou Harris song from her Cineron, Cimarron album back in the 70s called Born to Run, not the Springsteen version. Mm-hmm. And um, much to my surprise, um, there's a Weisenborn that shows up in, in there. You'll, you'll recognize it. It's not the electric guitar, and it doesn't sound like anything else. Um, so they... Um, Jerry Douglas has a Weisenborn of... Um, Ah, that's a spiritual and right now the name's escaping me but but you know it's one of these things that that um once you know it's there and you start looking around you say oh oh i didn't know that was you know whatever and and oh why it's over here too you know and 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 other places as well so it it's it's not you know by any means mainstream and it's you know never going to be which is which is fine but um that makes it special though yeah, I I happen to um, think that it sounds like a, a regular guitar, only better. Um, but I have
0: always hoped that I could get my guitars to sound like you were wise and born, and I know it'll never happen, but that is my goal, to find a guitar that sounds like that
1: without having to play it lying down on my, my lap. Well, I think that's part. The problem is geometry, you know, and, and just sort of the way the guitar is laid out. And, and you know, how I, I'm... Not a physics major, or, or um, but, you know, the this extra sound chamber of the neck uh, must have something to do with it because it's got. Um, I don't know how much louder these guitars are than, say, a D twenty eight. I'm not sure they are because they're facing up as opposed to the out to the audience, but, um, they they do have that special quality to the to their voicing.
0: It's a much more ref- refined sound to my ears, if that.
1: Makes any sense? Yeah, I I've never been quite sure how to uh, how to describe it, but um, but to me when I listen to Born to Run, the Emmylou Harris song, you know, and that Weisenborn comes in, and and I'll just back it up and play over that one part you know, multiple times. It's it, it's obvious because of there there's a this tone characteristic that I don't know how to describe that that just like oh yeah that's got to be a Weisenborn. Um, well, of course yeah. I say that now knowing that. It is, but it's on on the liner notes. It's called, a, I think, a Hawaiian steel guitar or something like that or a Hawaiian lap steel guitar or or something of of that nature. Um, Steve Fischel, I think, was the guy who who was playing it. Must have been part of her hot band for a while. Well,
0: I can see myself now listening to songs differently, listening, hoping to hear Weisenborn. I can now pick out a dobro. I couldn't for the longest time. The, what I would, I'd be listening to a song and I'm going, what's that? How do they get that guitar to sound that way? There's that really cool sound. And I was speaking with Richie Ricker one time, who's a phenomenal bass player, a good friend of mine. And he also plays dobro. And he said, Todd, that's a dobro. He says, you know who Jerry Douglas is? And I said, yeah, I love his stuff. He goes, listen to what he sounds like. Then back away, go back and listen to the other song, again. Sure enough, there's the Dobro. The Born has a similar—well, it's not a similar sound. It a—it's similar in that it's very distinctive.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I, I would—I would agree with that. And <clears throat> for Dobros, I like what they seem to be calling a modern Dobro sound, much more than the the old-fashioned mm-hmm. one. I think it's a more you know, rounded. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's um. The old ones I find thin and metallic and clanky. Um, hope I'm not insulting anyone out there. No, I'm sure the, you're not. The new ones are just, you know, just gorgeous. I, I Paul Beard, um, I, I've played some. What <clears throat> when I was first going out to look at, at dobro's to to possibly buy one, and I and I went up to um, to Beard Shop. And and I thought I knew what I was gonna buy. Um, but unfortunately the ones I wanted to buy were, you know, two or three times as, as expensive and, and that's when it's like, oh I, I like the modern sound. <laughs> Great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there's one musical piece that you perform quite often. You're gonna play it for the outro. But you have been very successful in joining your performances your musical performances with your love of baseball tell people about that
1: um so I have a um, an arrangement of of both the Star-Spangled Banner and and O Canada on the Weisenborn and in in 2013 which was the first year I did this um, the the Washington Nationals they've held auditions every year and and I went in they're always held in March always cold um, and I went, and, and I was able to play the. the <clears throat> after my, my national anthem performance, I, that one I was the only one, um, uh, for the auditions who was playing an instrument, um, and I got to play on, on August 6, thousand thirteen, and play the anthem in front of you know before a game. It was um, it's still thrilling, uh, it's still thrilling. But fortunately, um, the last times I've gone. I don't use up quite as much adrenaline, so I'm able to enjoy it a, a little bit more. Um, I'd love to just sit there and enjoy the entire experience, but I'm afraid I'll ride off the rails if I don't you know, concentrate. <laughs> and and um, but it's it's great. You get to go on a major league field. Um, I, I can't look up and see myself on the jumbotron, which is just as well. Um, uh, but you know, it's just uh, to me. Um, I I still. Every time I walk into a Major League Baseball park and see that grass for the first time, I still kind of get a chill. And, and yeah, I, I love going to baseball games. It's, I don't get to nearly as many as I'd like to. but um, And so it's wonderful. It's just been a great experience that I've been able to do it, um, both in, in Washington and in, and in Baltimore. Um, both clubs have been... Um, I don't know. More than kind, more than wonderful to me, and enabling me to do this, I've just really appreciated every time I've I've done it, and it's 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 a glorious experience. You know, who gets to be on a major league ballpark on the field?
0: You and James Taylor.
1: Me and James Taylor. The Grateful Dead. <laughs> <laughs> they they have a. Um, uh, I don't know, three- or four-part harmony. Or maybe that's Huey Lewis in the News. You know, it's Huey Lewis in the News. Uh, just a wonderful, wonderful version. Uh, last year at the Nats audition, there was a group of four or five teenage girls who did something like that. That was great. And, of course, I have no idea who they call back or why. Uh, the, the whole process is more opaque than applying to colleges. But um, I sure hope that 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 those young ladies got to... Got to sing their their version, and fr- you know, before a game, they they sure deserved it. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, it's cool, kind of seeing the auditions because you're all you know, you're all sitting there nervous. It, in some ways, the audition is harder than the actual performance because you're sitting there waiting for everybody else to go on. You're it's not like you're in a green green room and can practice and mm-hmm. you know, stay warmed up. Um, but but yeah, it's a it, it's a it, the whole thing is a really cool experience if you can keep your adrenaline down level low enough to in, to enjoy it <laughs> <laughs>
0: well i want to thank you for allowing me to come down hang out in your backyard front yard i guess you're in a kind of an interesting location house-wise so this is kind of like your front side backyard
1: we had discussions about that at the beginning I, i've come around to Angela's. We have thinking, well, I think this is the front yard. Front yard.
0: Okay. But thank you again for allowing me to come down. This has been fun catching up. I want to remind people that they can catch the uh, podcast on either iTunes or Apple podcasts, or they can go right to the site, wispymopmusic.podbean.com. And podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N, wispymopmusic.podbean.com dot com and uh, the show is produced by myself Todd Middle Initial C. Walker. yes that's right it's me um, from the, our studio in Frederick, Maryland or on location as we are today in Gaithersburg and we're going to end the show with my good friend Ken Glasser performing what?
1: Star Spangled Banner there you go have to cut me off.
0: <laughs> there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Ken Glasser in the National Anthem played on his Wisenborn guitar. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.